It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Folks, if you'd like a copy of my best-selling first book, Tales of a First-Round Nothing, head on over to ecwpress.com. If you'd like a copy of my second book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to www.flankerpress.com. If you'd like either copy personalized, just add a note. Thanks for listening to my podcast, and happy reading. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. What are you at, boys? Hello. Welcome to Tales with TR, episode 192A. I'm your host, Terry Ryan Jr. Today we're going to answer some questions. Let's get right to it. TR, is there any influence on, and, and any, have you had an influence you haven't talked about much? Uh, from Robida Island in Idaho. Okay, Robida Island. I don't talk about my, my grandfather much. If you've listened to all 192 episodes or whatever that is, 300 odd by now, I guess, by my um, weird count. I don't remember when I started, do, started doing an A and a B, but I'm at least three, 300 episodes overall. Anyway, if you've been following along and read my book, I know I mentioned it in the first book. Not sure in the second, but my grandfather, Bill Bucky Norris, he was he was on the HMS Bulldog, okay? The HMS Bulldog. I'm going to read this out to you, actually. And just let me bring it up. I had it here a second ago. So the HMS Bulldog captured the Enigma machine off a German submarine in the Second World War. It turned the tides of the war. It was huge. The movie U-571 kind of glorified it and Americanized it. But my grandfather, who was fighting for Britain at the time, now we were fighting with Canadians too. And I mean, obviously, the Allies, the Allied forces. But, I mean, I don't think people cared when they were at war, like who they were dying next to, you know what I mean? But I'm just saying that Newfoundland um, didn't join 
Canadian Confederation until 1949, shortly after the Second World War. We were uh, independent and we were part of Britain. Well, you know what? Our history goes way, way. If you follow it, there's all kinds of, what's the word, nuances to the story of who Newfoundland belonged to, okay? But we didn't join Canada slash North America till, well, I guess we were part of the ge geographical North America, but you know what I'm saying. I'm rambling for no reason, okay? So while fighting for Britain, my grandfather was on the HMS Bulldog. Now here, here's the story. The HMS Bulldog was a B-class destroyer built for the Royal Navy, of which he fought for, between 1929 and 31. It was initially signed to the Mediterranean fleet during the Spanish Civil War, 36 to 39. And in World War II, the Bulldogs saw service throughout the war on convoy escort duty during the Battle of the Atlantic and in the Arctic. Okay, my, my grandfather didn't go to the Arctic, but he was present for these details. Her most notable actions were the capture of the Enigma machine and code books from the German submarine U-10 in 1941, sinking another German submarine in 1944, and taking the surrender of the German garrisons on the Channel Islands on May 9th, 1945. So my grandfather lost his arm fighting on that battleship and uh, B-class destroyer. I've never heard that term. Talked about it a lot. He never said B-class destroyer, but now that I look, <coughs> I see. I see that there. Yeah. I, anyway, I'm rambling, but it's worth your while to to look into. It's a great story. Like I said, the movie U571 is largely based on events in and around that particular happening. Um. So. My grandfather came home. He's right-handed. He lost his right arm, right, right up to about, right all the way, like up past the elbow and everything. And it, he came back. So he built mostly on his own, but with with some help, but mostly on his own. Like the house that my mom and dad still live in now. When he first came back from the war, um, he started the Royal Canadian Legion um, here in Newfoundland. You know, my my pop got back from the war, and in '49, we become part of. Canada and he was very proud of that and a lot of the guys that fought together those of you that remember the Royal Canadian Legion there are it's still going but a lot of them now are becoming like here it's Park Place it's a community center there just wasn't enough old war vets there anymore kind of sad but growing up like I'd go up Papa's so the, he, he built the Legion helped build it he, he founded it uh, like I don't know 300 feet from my house in Mount Pearl and right now I'm probably 500 feet on the other side of it. So my parents, you know what I mean, are just, so Park Place, as it stands now, is right in the middle. Or I guess not right in the middle if you do your math, but close, you know what I'm saying. So I would go up there, they'd be playing cards, having a beer, Pop didn't drink much. He'd, uh, he'd always had a chew in though, man. Always, always, always that red man, the big wad of chew. Like uh, a, a, uh, an exaggerated caricature of a baseball player. Always had that big chew. But, um, you know, and he, he, he drove everywhere. Like, he built things. And again, he, he's right-handed. He lost his right. So, like, my whole memory, memory of Pop, call him Pop, was um, 
you know, he, he, he was omnipresent. He was everywhere. He came to every practice, every game. Died when I was 13 years old. But, like, you know, my dad gets a lot of credit for advice and stuff. But I got to be honest. It, earlier in my life, like, my mom was either the manager or the treasurer of all these. Like, was always around. She had something to do with my team. She was with me every day at the rink. Uh, my grandfather would come to everything until he passed. It was my first year peewee in February. February 4th, actually. Jesus, just a few days ago. My mom's birthday. Um, and... Honestly, early on, it was two of them. The influence my father had, he coached the junior team and the senior team, so I'd get extra ice time. If I asked my dad for advice, it was there. I obviously watched him and mimicked him to be a hockey player, but no, he wasn't present. as my, He had things to do. He was a teacher, and he, and he was coaching, right? My grandfather, from my early days, like my dad played baseball, of course, like I've mentioned, Newfoundland Hall of Fame, but again... I watched him and was influenced, but it was my grandfather that he pitched it to me in my every day, every day, however many I wanted. He'd be pitched me with his left hand, right? He'd, he'd toss it in and I'd hit like right from like two years old, right up until like eight or nine. And I started making all-star teams. Again, my dad's there for advice. If I really asked him, he might hit me a few ground balls or something, but it was more my, my grandfather early on. It really, really was. Um, Honestly, with, with my dad, I think there's something genetic, obviously, there. But early on, yeah, I mean, and, you know, before I was seven there, him and mom, you know, he was drinking too much. Often talks about that. That's why the Friday night thing was born. But he wasn't huge. And, you know, I, I wish I could tell you otherwise. I love my dad, but and he certainly smartened up when he got back with my mom. And But he, either he was mentally checked out or, or whatever early on at the beginning, coming back from pro, making that adjustment, drinking a little bit too much, uh, playing senior hockey, caught up in that, either that or then after I was seven, he was just busy, you know, teaching every day and coaching. Again, I'm an only child. We're in the same house. So we'd watch the games together, right? Talk about guys. And it's not like he was never around, but when it came to actual practice and and, and playing games and even just, practicing in my driveway or whatever, whatever it would be. Guy Lafleur came to town. My grandfather was going to take me out there. Um, there was a, I remember we had a drive-in movie theater and one was like tips, baseball tips with Ted Williams, right? My grandfather took me to those things anyway. So I don't talk about that much. I looked up to him, honestly, nothing to do with sports as I got older. And I realized, um, you know, the role that he had in the war, even if it wasn't everybody that goes over there is sacrificing their life possibly. Right. So that started to hit home. And when I saw him hanging out with his buddies that had gotten back, I understood what it really meant to be part of a team. If you can believe that, like, so my first like real, real like team. And I talk about that a lot, sacrificing for the team. That was all my, honestly, purely my grandfather early on him and his buddies that were war vets I mean, I can say, but I didn't know what a fucking teammate meant when I was six and seven and eight years old. Like, you know, I don't know what it means to be, you know, you're nine, you want to score all the goals. So I, I, I don't know. It was well, I, probably not until I was in junior for that whole team sacrifice. You know, you get out what you put in, unselfish, all that stuff. I mean, it started to hit home a little bit at 12 and 13, but whole, my, my whole, my, but it's ingrained into me because of my, my grandfather more than anything. 
Tier, what are your funniest TV shows? Hockey for Life in Sudbury, Ontario. Okay, Hockey for Life. I must have talked about this before. In no particular order, Arrested Development, Seinfeld, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. When it comes to humor now, you said funniest. Seinfeld, I just, people look back now, I don't think they realize, unless you watched it and experienced it, how funny it was and how innovative it was. Um, just a few little things. I mean, I like Seinfeld kind of like I like the Beatles, like not as much of a fandom, but I, I just think they were almost as important for TV if you look what came after it. Seinfeld, there was never a point. Before that, it was like growing pains. The funny ones, I don't know, Steve Urkel, what was that? Uh, there was like, I don't know, Saved by the Bell. There was like Family Ties, Cheers even to a point, although Cheers was very, very, very good. Um, most of them had a point. Like there would be, uh, you know, you, you someone's posed a problem. They might try to solve the problem in an immature way. Then they realize that's not the way to do it. And at the end, I was wrong and everybody wins. We're all happy, right? And that would happen. Even the best shows, Archie Bunker. What was that again in the uh, family, uh, all in the family? The Jeffersons. Like pretty much everything. Welcome back, Cotter. These are great shows. MASH was on another level, so I'll leave that on its own. MASH, although not my favorite, definitely it's one of the best TV shows of all time for many reasons. I don't get never time to get into how good it is. And yes, and I'm going to go back and start watching those again soon. Um, I watched them when I was a kid, and I didn't realize until I did Folklore in University, like how, and I did a TV course, like how important they were. So MASH, on its own level. But the other ones I mentioned, right? There's like, there's a moral to it. But Seinfeld, um, there was no ever moral, no love, no point. They were four hoodlums. They they really kind of, right? And they, the, the way it's framed and the way the humor's been, I mean, think about it. They're laughing at death, at, at bubble. It's innovative. I'm not, when I say hoodlums, I mean, it's so creative the way they wrote it because I don't think there's there's not many redeeming qualities about George, Jerry, uh, Elaine, or Kramer, right? And, and by extension, Newman and you know the parents and the whole universe. But you know they're very shallow. Jerry Jerry can't hold a girlfriend because I mean sometimes it's because something as small as dropping her toothbrush in the toilet and he can never see past it forever. Uh, she might she might be too much of a close talker uh and i'm just this is just with george is the same a girl starts george finds out she's going bald and he wants to break up with her and he's going bald they're all hypocrites right they're all and, and the way it's written each often there's at least two or three or storyline for each of them two or three or four storylines and they all come together at the end like kind of the first time they intersect is at the very end, right? Like you can see it's all kind of going somewhere. Now, Curb Your Enthusiasm is to me a, 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 a version, like it's almost Seinfeld on LSD. Like Seinfeld, if you could curse and if you could kind of bend the morals even further, the, the Im immorality even further. Now, Larry David, for those that don't know, wrote Seinfeld with Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld. They were the two main writers. Uh, George's... Costanza is actually based on Larry David. So then, if, if I'm sure most people know what I'm talking about here, but if you don't and you like Seinfeld or you like Curb, now now connect the dots. And if you just like one, watch the other, and you'll see 
you know, they're they, you can they're they're parts of it. They're, they're comedians, right? It's a stand-up act. Um, there are little things that we nitpick in life that might really bother us. Uh, you know, there's a ton. It, it pretty much every episode of Curb is I don't know. It might be someone standing in front of you and taking too many samples when you're at the ice cream, and you just want to say, "Get the fuck out of the way, Mrs. What the fuck?" Right? But Larry David will present it, and he'll be ignorant, and she'll get back to him, and then everybody will hate him. And it's, but it's very relatable, very relatable. I find in Seinfeld and Curb, like a good comedian, um, my favorites now being I don't know Bill Burr, Chris Rock, um, Chappelle. Uh, anyway, I could go on and on, but there are, it's observant comedy. It's 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 not wacky stories that no one can relate to which can be funny it's not you know it's it's not one line what liner jokes um which can be funny um i'm trying to think of these names now anyway but they're they're everyday situations and they're everyday in, in this case of seinfeld and curb like kind of negative situations that piss you off to put a thorn in your side and it's how they deal with them. Anyway, so I think those are brilliant. Now, Arrested Development, almost on its own level. And this might be my favorite from the point of view of jokes per second. And I mean that. I don't know if you've watched it. I'm not sure if you've watched it in order. Like, because... It's it's hit like some, like you got to watch these in order. I highly recommend it. If if you're out there and you haven't watched this show yet, it's been out a long time, um, and it was almost so such a smart show. I think at the beginning that it, it almost went over people's heads, mine included. I had I watched it and what's going on? And then a buddy said, "You guys, I think it was yeah." Anyway, it was Chris Pettigrew said, "You, you got to go back and watch this." And it's because I had seen it, and I thought it was. You know, we had moments, but then when I watched it in order, I was going, holy shit. And this was back when it was first on. I mean, I, I was a fan the first year, but it did take me a little bit. Um, it's 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 a lot of wordplay, but you, you blink and you'll miss it. Like if you're watching the rest of it, you can't have it on in the background with like feeding the baby or something or like you can't have a call on it. It's on in the background or be making food or you got to it got to have all your attention. Because when the jokes hit, they hit hard. Even the first episode, it usually takes shows, sitcoms, you know, one, two, three, four episodes to really get going. But you got to pay attention right off the bat. And then like episode five, they might refer to something in episode two. And you're like, oh, okay. Like you almost, I'm still picking up new things. There's a whole universe for this. There's a whole cult. Follow it online and you'll go into a crazy rabbit hole or many of them. But, um, yeah, it might be in season three. They go back and refer to something in season at the end of season one. And so it's like, a, I don't know, like if it was music, it'd be one big concept album, you know. And uh, during it, anyway, side note, during season three in real life, they were fighting to stay on the air and they ended up losing that fight. Netflix picked them up for season four and five years later. But so season three, you wouldn't know now, but at the time, a lot of the jokes were written around them staying on, on the air, right? So put that in perspective, too. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. 
This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. Okay, let me see. Do you think it's an advantage to shoot left or right, Julie, in Ontario? Um... No, I mean, I, I don't think less people shoot right. But if you, if you guys know hockey, think about this. I've often thought I shoot left, okay? So that means my dominant hand is the top hand on the stick. So if I'm like snapping the puck at the net or I'm taking a slapper, or if I'm snapping it, I'm guessing, I'm guessing if I was a right-hand shot, I would have a harder snap shot. Snap S-N-A-P-T-A-P. Um from the right side because I got that bottom hand snapping it, right? Uh, a lot of guys I know, two, two came in the top of my head, Michael Ryder, Aaron Asham. Two, on, not that I don't know players with good snapshots that shoot left. They just came into my head. Um, for no reason, really. I mean, they could be left-handed. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I just thought, and it's not so much the shot, though. I thought, like, when you're protecting the puck, so say I got one hand on my stick, okay? And my, my left hand, if I'm shooting right, is kind of stretched out and it's protecting the puck and it's kind of reaching to protect it from the defenseman. Well, if I'm right-handed, if I'm shooting right and the puck's in my right, I can kind of get low on it and I can kind of... Jack Eichel does it a lot. Um, Ovi does it a lot. You know what I mean? You hold the guy off with one hand and you got it on the other. It helps if it's your dominant hand. Now, when I do that, right, I hold the guy out it's, it's my, with my right arm, but my left, I can't really be as thrifty with it or as swift because it's not my dominant hand now. So, but, but that would really only help in that one situation. And, man, I really don't know. I, I, even as a goalie, some are left, some are right. I mean, I, if I shoot right then I'm shooting on most goalies left. So I think that I've often thought, yeah, because when I shoot on a goalie that's catching with his right hand, well, I love to, I don't have to go across my body to shoot glove, right? So that's why guys who shoot right, look at the goal Mitch Mariner scored the other night, right? He just come in, but he can take it quicker. He's on the right. He doesn't go to have to cross his body. You know what I mean? If the glove is on the same side as your forehand. Now, that being said, I can't remember when. I think I did this research for the Jason Greger show, and I don't remember seeing that there was an advantage one way or the other when you're a goalie. So, I mean, because, you know, for each time I say that, it's also probably easier to deke off that side, right? I, I never really thought about it, and I've never seen any stats 
that blow me away one way or the other. So to me, it's a flip of a coin. Yeah, okay, a right-hand shot can protect it better. Okay, how about Sidney Crosby when he has a breakaway? He's gotten at least two or three goals that I know of where he has a breakaway and he's holding the guy off and he, and he shoots it with his, with his right hand, with, with one hand on the stick, right? That's kind of the other angle of it. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's a law of averages. You're a good fucking player. Hold the stick in the right way. Learn to stick handle and shoot. I think you got the same odds. That's my long-winded guess. Or, yeah. Um, hey, TR, do you guys wear makeup? BB in Australia. I'm thinking you mean on Shorzy. Because the answer in hockey is no. The answer in my tales with TR is no. The answer on spitting chiclets or anything else is no. On Shorzy, the answer is no. We honestly don't. Uh, the... I, the odd time if I'm on, like, I don't know, the odd time I'm on Sportsnet or something, they might put a little bit there. But that's since I was 15. I don't think that's to do with wrinkles. I mean, people get older. I think it's just for the lighting for the camera. Uh, when we're up there, I put those eye patches on before. But I don't like to booze uh, like the night before I got to act. And if not just for the hangover, it really does bring out, it makes your face look not just older, but like puffy. You want to look your best. Here's the way I look at it. To each their own, but I'd never get plastic surgery or anything. I mean, people know how old I am. Right? So you can go on the internet and find that out. So you can look good for your age. But if you look too good, it just looks weird. Remember Kenny Rogers, music fans, the gambler? Um, Ruby. What was his best? Don't take your guns to town. No, that's Johnny Cash. Anyway, Kenny Rogers. Island's in the stream. There you go with Dolly Parton. Anyway, Kenny Rogers, at the end of his career, I mean, and he was a good-looking older guy anyway, and he just looked, I think he's passed now, but he's got this plastic surgery. He's like 75 years old or something. I mean, what were you trying to be, Kenny? Like 30? You know what I mean? Like... I, I can look or anybody you can you can you can help yourself you know keep yourself in shape i do use cream in the morning i mean not anti-aging cream or anything it's just cream i've always used a bit of cream to hydrate your face um and yeah in the morning i put those things on my eyes and i, I try not to drink a lot of water and never drink the night before i gotta go on camera because it does it it, it, it makes you look weathered and, and puffy but uh uh, no makeup. And I, I can only speak for myself, but I, I don't think the boy, like, yeah. Like, again, when you see, like, I don't know, Ken Reed on Sportsnet wearing makeup, it's not to make him look younger. Right? It's to do with lighting and the camera and all that. So I'm pretty sure that you can just assume how old we are in Shorzy, and that's probably how old we are in the show. Maybe I shave a few years I think Hitch might be probably 40, maybe 39, 40. I mean, I really don't know. They never say because it doesn't matter, right? I'm not 75 and I'm not 20. Like, I don't know. Paul Newman's slap shot. Did he say his age? He was probably fucking 50, 52 in that show. Um, you know? So there are times if, okay, makeup from the point of view is if there's a cut under my eye or something after a fight in the show or, yeah, I've taken all kinds of, done all kinds of stunts with everything from having my neck slit to half my face gone, man. You know, that that's just, that's special effects makeup. 
and that's different. But uh, no, when you see us on camera, you're seeing us all with absolutely no makeup on. There might be other prep, like cream, like I said, or uh, those hydrating patches before we go, but no makeup. Um, uh, what? Uh, TR. Oh, TR, do you dye your hair? Jimmy Jack. Jimmy, Jimmy Jack's was a place in Grand Falls, Windsor. I don't think it's there anymore. I wonder if Jimmy Jack comes from Grand Falls, Newfoundland, my dad's hometown. Anyway, do, do you do you dye in your hair? What, what, what the fuck? Are you BB getting together? Do you guys... Uh, Think I'm aging or what? Um, I don't. I, I use. I, I did dabble with that years ago, but it looked too like. I don't know. It didn't look natural. And after I did it, I immediately realized, like, what am I doing? But I do use Control GX. Okay, so this is a shampoo, and I don't know if you can tell. You're watching. Like, I got lots of gray, but it just. I'm not sure what it does. I think it takes it, it blends out some of the gray but not all the gray and it doesn't like dye your hair um, maybe it does to a degree I, I, I don't think though like my hair is my natural color i use control gx for like a month and then you might see a minor difference right but i'm just going to use that now pretty much i don't want to say till i die but you know I, I i use it i don't use it every hair wash i use it maybe once or twice a week and especially now when we just, sh uh, when I just cut my hair recently and I shaved it right down, then I could, and it was coming back, I could tell that it was probably a little grayer than I thought. And that was the control GX, but you know, I kept using it. And I don't know if you want to count that as hair dye, I suppose. Um, and now I have dyed it for TV though, for definitely for shows. Yeah. I've, uh, the odd time, if I have to play someone that's, a lot, you know, so my, my career on film here is from 35, 36 to now, right? So that is when people go gray. And I, I haven't always had to do it, but um, I do remember a couple of instances where I had to, yeah. I might be do, I might be stunt doubling for somebody too, right? That's the other thing. So if you're stunt doubling, not, you'll generally wear a wig. But um, I can think of one time where I died. Yeah, okay. Tara, where's the weirdest place you've napped? And from Paul. Oh, from Robert F. in St. Paul. St. Paul, Minnesota. Shout out, Minnesota Fighting Saints. My dad's old squad. Um, great question. There was a, I won't say where, I had a workplace um, in the past. And there was a nice little place that you could fit into the wall and no one know you're there, nobody. And there was enough... There was enough little chores that I had to do away from everybody else that if I did them quick, I would always get the work done, okay, but never leave them expecting too much. I'd always make sure to get even a little bit more. But I, I mean, I used to be done like, say they'd send me on a mission, I'd be done three hours in advance, two hours in advance, say. Then I always knew this little, and I even had like a pillow and a blanket, like George Costanza, there's a Seinfeld reference. Um, when he had the alarm clock under his desk, he was sneaking naps. So there was a place, I'm not going to say where, that I used to do that. Um, where else? At Shorzy, we often sleep on the floor. If, if we're not in a scene and we got our gear on and we can't take it off and go back to the trailer, which happens a lot, we just uh, 
take our jersey off, obviously, and then just lay under the thing on the floor. I'll put a towel over my head, and people are walking all around me. Uh, you know, people that are in the scenes, people, uh, makeup uh, people, um, hair, makeup, wardrobe, whatever. They're walking around running errands, and I'm just sleeping. And I wouldn't have been able to do that at the beginning but uh, of my film career, if you will, but I've learned to just catch shut-eye whenever because some of the days on set are long, um, no matter what you're doing. Crew stunts, fucking acting, whatever the fuck it is. If you're on there for 16 hours, 17 hours, you, you're going to probably want to catch some Z's. And uh, so that's probably it. Oh, a couple of times I've slept under a car. Uh, just, yeah, at a, I remember at a baseball tournament, the sun was coming out. We couldn't get into the, <laughs> to our, it was at Provincials. We couldn't get into our room. Someone went to the bar and fucking lost it. So lost their key, which was my key. So I remember, yeah, building up some clothes and going down and sleeping under a car to get out of the sun. There you go. This place I've napped. I'll be back in a couple of days, folks, with a great guest. I'm going to Brockville, Ontario, and I'm going there with ex-senators. I know Chris Neal is going, Wade Redden, Kerry Price. So lots of possible guests up there. So it's probably going to be an NHL player, probably an ex-senator or friends. I think it's it's dubbed Senators and Friends. And we're doing a uh, tournament in Brockville, actually, on the February 16th, 17th, and 18th. So that's where I'll be. I have a guest in just a couple of days. If you're downtown St. John's, Newfoundland, and you want to have a beer, drop by. You want to see George Street. You want to have a coffee, whatever. You just want to get out and about and socialize. I'd head to Trinity Pub, TJ's Pub, Rob Roy Confusion, the Martini Bar, Greensleeves Pub, and the Bull and Barrel. If I'm going to have a bite to eat, I'd start right above Greensleeves at the Loose Tie, and I'd head over to Blue on Water, maybe Merchant Tavern, and for sure Wedgwood Cafe, Wedgwood Cafe is at the end of Elizabeth Avenue. They also do catering. See Peter Wedgwood for details. If I wanted strength and balance for the body and mind, I'd go to Rope Walk Lane. Ryan Power at Power Conditioning. Two locations for Mr. Lube in St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador. One's on Cameron Road. The other, Torbay Road. Live, laugh, lube. Pitbull Pain Relief. The pain sticks that just don't quit. Go to pitbullpainrelief.com and see what all the fuss is about. True Hockey. Take what's yours. Thanks to True Hockey, Corey Gregory, and everything you guys do for me. Okay, this has been episode 192A. I'll be back in just a couple of days with more tales with Pierre. Catch you guys on the rebound. Thanks for listening.